Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast, brought to you by the 2017 URM Summit, a once-in-a-lifetime chance to spend four days with the next generation of audio professionals and special guests, including Andrew Wade, Kane Churko, Billy Decker, Fluff, Brian Hood, and many more. The inspiration, ideas, and friendship you'll get here are the things that you'll look back on as inflection points in your life. Learn more at urmsummit.com. And now your host, A.L. Levy. Hello there, A.L. Levy here. Happy to be podcasting again. Let me just tell you that. I hate taking breaks. Glad to be here. And I'm especially excited about this episode. This is my guest's second time on the podcast. His name is Fluff or otherwise known as Ryan Bruce, and he's a good friend of mine. I like to surround myself with people that I admire, and I've always kind of thought that it's never too late to pursue your dreams, and it's never too late to try to make things happen, and he's a perfect example. The man had a career for 10 years at Boeing before he was unceremoniously fired, which we will talk about why in this episode. It's actually kind of funny. Um, just goes to show, though, that something petty like that can completely destroy your career path. But, you know, into his 30s, he completely changed his life and started his YouTube channel and now has an awesome career in the music industry and is well-known and living his dreams and It's never too late. I mean, obviously, it goes without saying that if you're 14 and living in a basement and 200 pounds overweight and have never worked a job in your life and you want to make $2 billion and date a movie star, well, maybe you should get a little more realistic. But, you know, outside of having completely unrealistic expectations like that out of life, It's almost never impossible to get started on a goal or to pursue something um, and to make your life measurably more in line with what you wish it was. So without further ado, I introduce to you Mr. Ryan Fluff Bruce. All right. Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. I am A.L. Levy, and with me is my good friend Ryan Fluff Bruce, who you probably know either through his band Rest Repose or through his uh, wonderful YouTube channel, Riffs, Beards, and Gear, or just you've seen his Instagram or you've seen him anywhere online that showcases awesome riffs, awesome beards, oh, and awesome kind. gear. It's true. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. I uh, just got done wrapping up uh, shooting this week's uh, in the studio for uh, for the JST side of things. Oh, yeah. You also work for JST and yeah. make videos for JST and all kinds of marketing stuff. You basically are really good at lots of different things. Oh, yeah, I always wanted to be the Chris Hardwick of, of the audio music industry world, if that makes any sense, because that guy's literally... He's everywhere. You know what I mean? I have no idea who that is. Uh, do you know uh, who hosts The Talking Dead? No. Um, Nerdist <laughs> Podcast. Feel, He's in no. the Comcast commercials. I, He's the, I, I don't watch TV. <laughs> way way back in the day, he God, used to host... I'm just striking out. He, he used to host Singled Out way, way back in the day. And I have um, no idea what that is. Okay, it was an MTV I, thing. I guess I need to look him up now. You do, because he's I everywhere. I out. He's everywhere that you're not, apparently. Clearly, but uh, but he's an everything man. He's uh he's you know jack of all trades kind of guy, and uh, I always thought mm, that's the way to go. Diversify. Wow, I have no idea who he is. I just looked, but uh, 
The point is that he has a great career without me even knowing who he is, and that says a lot. Right. Well, I mean, previous to this conversation, I thought you had to know you, or you had to at least know the person in order for them to have a good career. So, Well, you see, that's what I thought, too. And uh, clearly, clearly not. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly not. Clearly not. But I mean, if he wants to, if no, never mind. I was going to go down a dark path, and uh, we're not going to go down the dark path on the podcast. Okay, fine. No Weinstein jokes. Oh my God! No, we should probably (laughs) shouldn't do that. That's probably not a good idea. Yeah, it's family friendly. Um, (laughs) No, but I mean. One thing that I want to bring up, and we did talk about this last time, but uh, you're no dummy. You worked at Boeing for 10 years. Mm -hmm. You know exactly what you're doing, and you've taught yourself several disciplines from video to recording. I mean, you already play guitar, but you taught yourself how to play guitar in a way that you can play professionally for various different situations. Like if someone hits you up and needs a video for this, whatever it is, um, you know how to make guitar lines that will fit whatever that situation may be. You've taught yeah. yourself marketing. Uh, you've taught yourself networking, um, obviously, because there's no way that you would be able to have a music career like you do without being a good networker. So you've kind of made it all happen. And and you didn't uh, come from like a uh, popular band or a music industry situation. You were a dude at Boeing <laughs> yeah. who was working on airplanes, and then you made it happen in your 30s. Yeah, yeah, when, starting when I was 31, late bloomer. Not okay, weird. So, uh, well, I don't think it's weird, but I think that a lot of people who listen who are above the age of 25 right. feel, start to feel like it's too late for them or yeah, something. Yeah, you're probably right. I mean, I, I hear about that a lot as far as like did, uh, did people Did you feel like up. it was too late? I mean, I thought I was late to the game then, absolutely. Like, when I started the YouTube thing, I was like, okay, there's no way anyone's ever going to watch my stuff, but I'm going to do it for me because I just I just really fucking love this, and I love, always wanted to be in the music industry, and always wanted to do that stuff. Music, I you know, I wanted to be a tech for a while just because I'm such a gear nerd, and I, uh, I thought it was way too late to the game at that time. I thought uh, everything was too saturated, and then I uh, just started doing it. And uh, I, I guess I wasn't too late. It wasn't as saturated like it is now. I mean, Jesus, you know, 100,000 followers or uh, 30,000 followers used to be like, oh, my God, you're huge. And now everyone has 100,000 followers on their YouTube channel. It's pretty crazy, it seems like, anyway. So Well, you know... Uh uh, I believe that the director, James Cameron, said this. I think it was James Cameron. Uh, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But he he said that there's infinite space on the top shelf, meaning that if you're good at something and do a really good job, you don't need to worry about saturation. Oh, that's that's and actually kind of a, a brilliant saying. I totally agree with it. Um and I just think that this whole thing about the industry being saturated, or there being age limits, I, I feel like that shit's overblown. Well, I mean, uh, I used to... overblown. My, my dad, when uh, when I first started this thing, you know, um, I remember distinctly my friends laughed at me. And I actually had one friend in particular who actually did, like, he toured the world like three times. Um, I had a close friend of mine at the time tell me I was wasting my time and no one watches that shit. Like, what are you doing? 
Like, don't well, be stupid. What, what did he do? I mean, was he a YouTube personality telling you not to waste your time? No, he was in a uh, an up-and-coming band that had gotten signed by a major label and were touring the world. And the band fell apart, and he had to go back to his construction job, which he's still at today. But Well, of course he's going to tell you that nothing's going to work because right. his situation fell apart. It did fall apart, and and I, I think maybe he was saying that out of his own bitterness or something. I don't Sounds know. Sounds like it. Yeah, but um, I remember my dad telling me, "Well, Rick Nelson uh, was 35 when Cheat Trick's first album came out." And I thought, "Huh, you make a good point, Dad," because <laughs> that's true. So, from what I understand, Dave Pensado was 35 when he started mixing. Um, was he really? Yeah, from what I heard, also. Several members of Slipknot were above 35 when they first got signed. Um, oh, I did not know that. Maynard James Keenan apparently was about 32, 33, or 35, something in that range when Tool was first getting discovered. I mean, I did not uh, know that. Mo- Moby was 36 when he first broke big. Yeah, you're right. Huh. Uh, I'm just, I turned 37 on Saturday, so maybe I'm not that bad. Happy birthday. <laughs> um, oh, thanks, man. I just don't, uh, my experience tells me that if you want to play music or do something that is sold specifically to 15-year-olds, then yeah, maybe there's an age limit there. But, uh, you know, 15-year-olds don't make up the entire world of music consumers or music creators or people out there. There are other people, too, who also love music I mean, and uh, love well, to consume things. How many young people, I mean, obviously there are some and there's a handful, but how many young people really can grasp and adequately take advantage of a good opportunity? Because I certainly couldn't when I was 22, 23. I don't know about you, but, you know, I was not of the mindset. I didn't have the mental tools to even handle any kind of opportunity like what has come out of the YouTube thing for me. Um, so I'm glad it didn't happen to me then. Like, I'm, I'm glad I'm not 23 right now um, having all this stuff because you kind of go nuts. And uh, from my experience, anyway, you see your friends just kind of go nuts or you see like, you know, the Justin Bieber's of the world where it's like, dude, I'd be dead if I had a million dollars and I was 25 years old. You know what I mean? Like I would have died in a horrible sports car accident or something. So... Not that I'm Justin Bieber or not that I have a sports car, but... Uh, overdose of mainlining, you know, $8,000 champagne laced with designer yeah, meth. Shit gets crazy when you have real success. And not that I have real success yet, but, you know, I have uh, come across a lot of really cool opportunities. And uh, I'm glad I am of the age to really genuinely appreciate it and have some perspective on the whole thing. So... It's been cool. Well, have you noticed that some dudes who get what you've achieved younger in life can become self-destructive and stupid? Yeah, I think that's just because... They're young. Yeah, they just don't know how to deal. And it's kind of a weird thing to witness because you can see see people... I mean, even if if you don't know them that well... um, there's several other YouTubers that just go nuts. I mean, there's there's well-documented like gamers in the gaming community because I think the gaming community was the, really the platform from which, you know, the YouTubers as we know it today came from. Like, you know, when you saw the real big online celebrities, they were gamers and they were like, you know, pro Call of Duty guys that were like, 
the top players in the world. And, um, you know, there was a guy named X Jaws that he was a young kid and he had a pill problem. And then he got into Coke and then he got into heroin and he lost it all. And now his channel doesn't even exist. But he had millions and millions and millions of, of viewers every single video. And he wasted it all away on fucking drugs. So, yeah, his first cool. car was a Mercedes. He bought cash from, Jesus his, Christ. from his YouTube channel. Yeah, man. You know another thing that uh, that having a little bit more age helps with is understanding the impermanence of all of this. I think that yeah. when you're 23, you it's much easier to trick yourself into feeling like it's going to last forever. But by the time you're 35, you've had enough ups and downs in your life. You've had enough things fall apart. To know or to really respect it when something's going well. Like, for instance, with URM right now, we are crushing. And yeah, uh, are. I've had enough things in my life go bad to where I'm treating this like, a, like it is a gold egg that, yeah. You, yeah, that can just break. It could literally point. be gone tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Though I don't think it will be, and I do think that I don't either. We're we've built it in a way to where, it, unless you know, unless it con something crazy happens, like really crazy, like uh, one of us hires a hitman to try to kill their wife or something, you know, or goes full Weinstein or something. Yeah, goes yeah, goes full Weinstein. <laughs> you know, something insane that right. isn't going to happen. Right. Uh, we've built it in a way to where it couldn't possibly just disappear. Um, overnight, but I mean, I still have that in my mind because I have seen people's disappear, people's careers disappear overnight. I've had my own career troubles at times yeah. where relationships I had are now gone. Like I've had things fall apart, and uh, and you need and to really, really respect success, you need to experience a little bit of failure, I think. And so when you're young. Uh, you you just haven't lived long enough to you know to have your dreams crushed a few times, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, the, the the life dick hasn't slapped you in the face enough times yet. Exactly, the life you do need to get the life dick to the face a few times <laughs> to really really appreciate how good it is. Now, hey, young people under twenty five, I'm not trying to say that that success is a bad thing. I wish you all the success in the world, absolutely. But just remember that. Nothing in this life is guaranteed or permanent, uh, and it can all go, it can all go away. So, so yes, I don't know. <laughs> just FYI, just, throw, just throwing it out there. But I mean, so do you think that your ten years of Boeing working in the real world uh, helped you appreciate this more? Yeah, I think uh, it, what it really taught me. Um like I get asked at family dinners and stuff like that. Whenever I see my parents or my grandparents or whatever, they always ask me, well, what are you going to do if at all, if the YouTube thing ends and I tell them, well, so what if it ends? Like I've always used it as a jumping off point, not as the main thing. And the Boeing, the way Boeing is structured with jobs and how teamwork works and um, just the general structure of the company teaches you to, Always be looking, always stay hungry, always, always be looking to the next thing or, you know, diversify your skill set because, you know, your group may be, um, 
maybe I don't know what you call it, not laid off, just um, you're like, oh, those positions are now outsourced. So you need to find another job within the company and we'll get you another job in the company. But if you don't have any other skill sets, then we will lay you off kind of mentality. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was a fourth generational Boeing guy. And so that kind of mentality, you just kind of grow up with knowing like dad could go on strike and lose his job tomorrow. It could happen. But uh, so you always have to be just kind of on your toes about that kind of thing. So um, I think I took that with me when I left there. Definitely. I think last time I was on the podcast, I think, wasn't it like a few months after that it all happened? Uh, well, the last time you were on the podcast, I believe we recorded it in March or April of 2016. Oh, it was. Okay, cool. Yeah. So I'd been doing it. I struck out on my own for about six months at that point. So. Yeah, you were fairly new. Yeah, I mean, you had already experienced some success, but you, but it was still a relatively newish thing. Yeah, it was. It totally was. I just remember at the time thinking, like, God, I hope this works out. When you guys were like, so how's it going? Like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, so since it has been about 18 months, yeah, uh, how has it gone? I mean, it's been good. from what I've seen, it's been pretty good. I still have the house. Uh, I still have my car. Um I have lots of guitars and amps still, and uh, th- things worked out for the better, for sure. Uh, lots of tough times, but uh, to be expected. And, uh, yeah, things are good. Things are good. Can't complain. Toured a few times? Toured a few times. Um, let's see. I think at that time, when I was last on the podcast, uh, Rest Repose just put out their EP. Uh, we put out a full length since then. Um, we're starting to write for another record. Uh, we're going on tour in January, right before Nam. Uh, talking to a few record labels and just kind of, just kind of doing that thing right now. Towards the end of the year, since it's cold and no one really wants to uh, go tour in the snow or anything like that, I think we're kind of on a longer break, which is fine. But um, other other than that, just uh, you know, doing the YouTube thing and doing the working thing. And I've also seen you in various cities over the past year. Um, yeah. Like, well, we saw each other in D.C., Nashville, L.A. Yeah. L.A. is like, so, so fun. Yeah, so you're traveling a lot. So, I mean, uh, the reason I'm bringing this up is just um, to kind of illustrate that you're really not just doing one thing. And even if your band isn't touring full-time, you're still finding ways to travel for work and for what you do. And it really isn't all just YouTube. It's no. Various things. Yeah, and like, um, I mean, it was from YouTube that I got the job at um, Two Notes Audio Engineering, and then I was working the NAM booth at Two Notes Audio Engineering, which is where I met Joey. And then Joey, me and Joey hung out a few times. And then Joey was like, "Hey, man, you want a job?" And then I went to go and work for Joey, and that's been absolutely life changing. And uh, yeah, because you get to hang out with me more. I mean, I wasn't gonna say it. I don't want to. I don't want to embarrass you, but. Uh, well, no, I mean, I blush, but not be embarrassed. Okay. Well, good thing uh, Good thing this isn't on video then. But, yeah. uh, no, that's been totally life-changing. And, um, all, like, all the traveling that you just mentioned. And then, as a result of that, it just it grows and branches out and branches out and branches out. It just keeps getting bigger and bigger and crazier and crazier. So, it's just so, uh, pretty cool. Do you, so, one thing that I think I'm good at, really good at, is spotting opportunity where people may not see it and knowing what to pounce on. 
Yeah. Like, I'll give you a for instance. A for instance was when I left Audio Hammer at the end of 2014 and left Florida, I told myself I was never going back to Florida again in my life because fuck Florida. <laughs> Moving on. And then one and then week a hurricane later, came and wiped it away. Like, holy shit, you're a god. Sorry. If only. If only. Yeah, right. um, but uh, one week later, Andrew Wade made a post that he was building a studio and needed someone. And I saw pictures of the build out and I was like, I'm jumping on that now in Orlando. The city oh, I didn't know I that. Just, yeah, the city that I had sworn I would never go back to. Yeah. Um, it just, my spidey sense went off and it was like, this is an opportunity not to pass up. I hit him up within 15 minutes of the post going up and was like, I want it. Um, I didn't even know that much about it, but something told me like, this is, this is going to be perfect for some reason, because I wanted a headquarters for URM. URM didn't even really exist yet in its current form, but I knew that we were going to need a headquarters. I knew that I was going to need someplace to put all my gear. Yeah. I knew that Andrew Wade is really good people and his partner was Jeremy from a day to remember. So I knew that it probably wasn't going to go under. Um, and it, it's just like, where else am I going to get an opportunity like this to get involved in a studio from the ground up where people who are in the industry are running it so you don't have to deal with bullshit from people who don't understand how things are done. And there's a certain understanding there um, that I wouldn't be able to have with just anybody. Um, and I, Andrew Wade had done Creative Live, so I know that he was cool with the education thing, which I know some people aren't. Mm -hmm. But uh, for I just like all those thoughts happened simultaneously in my head, I guess. Like I didn't have to think about it. I just knew I need to pounce on this now. And yeah. I got it. And I paid for it for like a year and didn't even go there. Now it's the URM headquarters. Like people who watch Nail the Mix and some of our fast tracks recognize it like um, we filmed lots of those there. It's a cool um, joint, yeah. We, yeah, we built a whole little shooting studio, and it's it's a great thing. I um, still need to come down and visit. You're about to, and we'll talk about that in a second. Yeah. Um, but I've always been good at like seeing an opportunity and seeing what it can be turned into very, very quickly and knowing when to jump. And I feel like in order to make things work the way that you're saying that it works for you, um, yeah, I think you need to be good at that. And you need to cultivate uh, your, I guess, your sixth sense for totally. which opportunities are out there. Like, has that been natural for you, or is that something that you've developed? No, it's been developed. I mean, there, there's, uh, there's been lots of times over the years where I'm like, oh, damn it, if I had only known or said that one thing, damn it, I find out after the fact that. I don't know, whatever, especially in the Boeing setting. Like, oh, man, I could have had that job. I just had to say I wanted that job. Fuck. But um, Loser. I know, dude. But uh, uh, no, it's that kind of thing. Um, few people, I think, have that naturally. I think that just kind of comes with time and experience and fucking up a lot, like a lot of things. I didn't get perfect pitch or any of that stuff, but I got that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, well, yeah, I mean, you did, really. Uh, I didn't, so, yeah, 
That's okay. Okay. Well, okay, good. I'm glad you didn't because then we can talk about what it takes to develop it. Because for me, it's always been easy. Like, you know, that the way that some people can just understand pitch and just see it, like I've always been able to kind of see the future in a weird way to where like, even if it's years in advance, like I'll know that making a certain move will lead to this and this. So like, for instance, when I went to Audio Hammer, I knew within five years I would be out of there. I didn't know how I knew. I just knew it just made logical sense in my head that I will be out of here within five years. I don't know where I'm going to end up, but like all the equations in my head lead to this one outcome, which is that I will not be here in five years. Um, and so I've always been really, really good at knowing like what to jump on, how long it's how long to put in and when to start thinking of the next move. And it's like, it's weird. I don't even have to really think about it. I just kind of get it the way that like some people under like hear a note and know what it is. Um, So I want to know how you went about developing that. Um, It's really taken. All it is, is just taking a step back and looking at the bigger picture. And sometimes when, you know, if you stop and think, okay, I know what would be good for me now, but what would be good for me later? Um, Trying to see how things relate to each other. So, for example, taking, uh, I'll I'll use taking the job uh, with Joey and uh, JST uh, as the artist rep um, as an example. Um, I initially said no to that job. I remember. uh, Because... I I had to smooth talk you. I mean... Yeah, I mean, I I leaned on you pretty hard to kind of gauge what I would be getting into because I'd been burned so many times and I was just kind of tired. And I was with uh, I was with Positive Grid at the time, and you know what? That was a stable well, paycheck. What I, what I did tell you was that I was trying to replace myself, but uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I left that out. But I was still totally on. I was still totally honest with you about what you could expect. Yeah, but I got catfished. Uh, long story short, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but I just I didn't want to move. Like I was like that hassle of like, yeah, I quit. I'm gonna go do this thing and the going into the unknown. But when I stopped, I mean, I was in California at the time at uh, my girlfriend at the time's house on the phone with Joey and I was just hashing it out and I was asking him like the most ridiculous questions that I probably shouldn't have asked. Like I wanted to know, I wanted to know financial stuff because I didn't want to start a job with the company and then have the company fold a month later or something like that, you know, understandably. Mm -hmm. But I was asking him all sorts of financial stuff and like real nitty gritty details that I probably didn't have any business asking him, but he answered everything honestly and forthcomingly. And that was like, okay, well, maybe I should actually reconsider. And so after initially turning it down, I really, I I took a piece of paper and I wrote out like, I kind of made like a, so at Boeing, there's these things called like fish diagrams that you can make. And, um, various productivity diagrams that you can kind of use to hash out um, how things relate to each other and what the outcome will eventually be. Because um, at Boeing, I was uh, an investigator, so we would kind of use this to boil things down and kind of drill down to whatever it is that you were trying to get down to. And with the job at uh, JST, it I with the diagram, it just made more sense. There was just way more pros than there was cons. There were very few cons. I don't even remember any of the cons. 
But with the current job that I was at with Positive Grid at the time, there's a lot of things I just didn't like. And okay, it made sense to actually take the job, even though I was I was still cautious for the immediate future. But I knew long term being in that circle, being in the audio thing, getting to travel and then glean information off of, you know, hanging out with these amazing dudes like you know, Billy Decker and the Bo Shells of the world. Um I thought that would probably be a really yeah, good positive there's thing. There's a lot of perks. A lot of perks. To being in the circle. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I should probably be on that team instead of this one. And so I took the leap for, you know, for for the fourth or fifth time in a major way. And um yeah. I think it's just it's just taking the leap, man. That's that's really all it is. Being willing to accept that, you know what, it might suck, it might bite you in the ass, but at least you tried. Kind of a thing. I, I was just talking to somebody earlier today who is a very good mixer, but uh, he teaches high school and uh, he really wants to transition from that into te- producing full time. Oh. And he's more than good enough. He's been good mm-hmm. enough for years, but he was telling me that he's just afraid of taking the risk. Like he can't bring himself to do that. And it reminds me a little bit of back in the day, um, like, I remember uh, I got Ryan Knight the gig in this band called Arsis, which he then moved mm-hmm. on to Black Dahlia Murder yeah, from. Know, right? But he had, a, he had a local band called The Knife Trade um, that he was in, and, like, he didn't want to leave it. Like, he just didn't. Like, and I had to, like... Many, many nights of talking to him about how, like, you don't even have to break up your local band, dude. Just, like, go join this band. Like, you're finally going to get the opportunity for people to recognize what an amazing guitar player you are and then possibly move on to something else eventually. Dude, he's so insane. Do it. Yeah, he's great. (laughs) He's always been great. Yeah. And I'm glad he finally did it, but, like... There, that wasn't the only time that I was in a situation like that where I had found a gig for somebody and had to like bend their arm behind their back to like disappoint their local band and go join a bigger band. Yeah, and and so I feel like it's the same thing that I was hearing today with like, dude, like you just told me that you're only making eighteen hundred a month from teaching high school. Like, no, oh. you're more than good enough to make well above eighteen hundred a month producing. Like, and at the end of the day, like, how much are you? It's not even that big of a risk if that's all you have to give up. Like, it's not going to happen unless you take the risk. Well, you have to take the risk. Well, I mean, you have to take it situation by situation. But from what little I know of his situation. Uh, if he played his cards right, he could always go back to teaching. That's always going to yes. be there. So it, do it. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we're not talking, but also we're not talking like ditching out on a six-figure career for no. something that may not or may not work out. We're talking about, you know, something that he can always go back to that's Peanuts. barely above minimum wage. Yeah. That, uh, you know, I mean, do that shit while you're young. It, you're not going to ever be able to advance without... In, at least in this world, without at some point taking a risk. Putting your balls on the fucking line. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally agree. And, I mean, don't do it blindly. No, don't be stupid about it, but goddamn, you got to do it sometimes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, shit, man. Starting URM was a huge oh, risk. Fuck. And I very, can't even very, imagine. <laughs> very scary. Yeah. The yeah, I've told people that like at one point I only made thirteen hundred dollars one month in that first year, 
and uh, that was a scary fucking month. Right. <laughs> it was right. so scary. And especially because I was killing it before in the studio. Um, it was like, wow, my how the mighty have fallen. But, uh, but in my head, I knew how it would work out. And without taking that risk and going through the shit, we wouldn't be where we are now. Um, exactly. You have to, you have to sometimes be willing to throw yourself into an uncomfortable situation to ultimately put yourself in a more than comfortable situation. Absolutely. Down the road. So, speaking of you coming to Florida, um, <laughs> yeah, let's let's talk about that. So. To those of you who may not be aware, URM is having our first annual, and I say first annual because we're already planning the 2018 one, but our first annual summit, and it'll be the 2017 one, and uh, basically between December 11th through the 14th, us and about eight speakers and like 100 attendees are convening on the Doubletree SeaWorld Resort in Orlando and uh, there's going to be four days of uh, recording master classes, career master classes, networking and hanging out. And uh, Mr. Ryan here is going to be giving a lecture about, uh, about how he used video and multimedia to not only launch his YouTube career, but how he's used it to sustain a profitable music career. And um, it'll be mainly focused on video, right? But it'll be expansive from what I understand. Yeah, it's going to be looking for avenues that maybe aren't the obvious ones to get into the music industry as a whole. And I'll probably, you know, I'll, I'll go over what my own history was and how I kind of fell into it initially through video work and how, I mean, I haven't hashed all the stuff out completely yet. Uh, shame on me, but no, um, I still got a few weeks. I do. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I have it in my head, but actually you're hashing it out on a word document or something like that. But, um, using my own journey was, you know, video and I just kind of fell into it. But along that way, I have learned that you know, nine times out of 10, when someone hires you for a gig, and a gig is defined as video work, freelance photography, um, going to an amp show and playing a booth and, you know, being the guy that's showing uh, the product or being a product manager, a marketing guy, nine times out of 10, they are absolutely never looking for the absolute best guy ever. They're looking for the guy who's dependable, who will kick ass the entire day and not bitch about it and uh, generally be reliable um, as opposed to, you know, let's say you're hired to do a mix. You know, they're not, the band that's hiring you would love for Chris Lord Algae to mix your mix. But nine times out of 10, if you're on time, do it under budget and do a really great job, that's absolutely just as good. And, and a lot of times more preferable uh, to whoever hired you. Um, because they can just they can rely on you, and that goes farther than I thought it would when I got into this industry. That applies in so many different uh, fields. Even with uh, nail the mix, sometimes we approach mixers to do it, and they'll be like, "Well, I don't feel like I have anything to teach. I don't think I'm that good." And it's like, dude, first of all, you're better than the students, right? So you definitely have something to teach them. And second of all, Bob Rock's not returning my calls. 
<laughs> right, right, exactly. So, so, like, fucking come do it. It'll be awesome. And uh, have a little confidence that you've got more to teach than you might realize. But um, oh, I completely agree. It's We taught this in speed mixing, too, that, um, yes, you're trying to be competitive with the best in the world, but start by being competitive with your local market. Yes, you know? yes, step up. You know, it's, you know, it doesn't, you, there's a lot of other things you can offer besides, yeah, I've spent 30 years behind a console. You know, there's other things to, there's other elements that go into, for example, um, working with someone and getting a mixed job um, than just time uh, spent behind the console in order to get the work done. So if you're, well, you know. one One thing that Joey said that he loves about working with you, and people should take note, is that he tells you an idea and he doesn't need to then write out a formal like assignment or due date or anything like that. Like he'll tell you ideas and then you'll just go get them done. You'll take initiative yeah. and get them done. And he loves that. And uh, as someone who employs people, that's the kind of shit that I love too. And I know that as someone who's been employed by people, that's the kind of shit that people loved when I would do it. Yeah, they don't want to that's, do the work. They want you to do the work. That's what they hired you for. Yeah, exactly. And the less you need to explain to someone, the better. Yep, yep, absolutely. Um, so again, it's like uh, you might not be the best mixer on earth, but if you're more reliable than your competition, uh, more dependable, easier to deal with, and you do as good or comparable of a job, um, then you most likely will get the gigs. Yeah, I mean, I, I am a testament to that. You know, I not, and it's not about being second best or or anything like that. You know, if a band wants it done now and they want it done cheaper and they want it still sounding awesome. They'll, they'll, you know, they'll do the record with me. And if they want some superstar name that they can just use to sell that, you know, they mastered their record or something like that, then they'll go to them. But, you know, I'll get that shit done and I'll get it quick and I'll uh, get it done cheap. Because <laughs> I have to. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, having gigs is better than not having gigs. Exactly. You don't want to fuck yourself out of a gig. No. So, so uh, let's talk about video a little. Because... Um, Obviously, you started as a musician, right? I did, that, yeah. That, okay, so you're a musician first. But uh, how did you realize that video was the future? Or, like, how did, like, how, like, what inspired you to conquer that um, or to even do it in the first place? So I kind of, I don't remember the last podcast, but. You, you talked about porn. Okay. So it all started there. And. Um, <laughs> it, it started with, uh, working with red light district and leisure time. And I was in a small apartment in Calabasas, California. And, um, the singer of our band at the time had been editing porn for a while, but this particular time, the, the director of this video wanted certain sounds edited out without messing with the video and that Farts. was squeaks they were various squeaks of the the leather chair and moans and spanks yeah um and farts I'm and, and farts. Saying farts and farts various kind okay. of queefs um oh my God. <laughs> and and our our singer was 
was befuddled. He he didn't know he didn't know how to deal with that. He was like, "Well, how the hell do I do that? I have to have some advanced, you know, equipment or software." Now, mind you, this was this <laughs> you had is, to get advanced fart removal. Yeah, <laughs> is there a plugin for that? Um, this is two thousand five. Uh, I, I like analog fart removal. <laughs> that's going to be the next plugin, by the way. Yeah. Um, you heard awesome. it here first, <laughs> but. Uh, you know, this was 2005, and we were editing on you know Final Cut Pro 5, I think it was, and it was kind of primitive, but it was still they were still editing movies on it and stuff like that. And I thought, and I'd known how to edit video from what he had trained me to do over the previous few months, but um, the the audio thing was totally new. But to me, in my mind, it was the same as video. I just had to split the track and kind of crossfade it and kind of remove the. Um, remove the wave, and then find some ambience, and then blend it in. That was the same ambience as um, a silent part in another part of the video that we weren't even using. And so I would do that, and it turned out I was I was pretty damn good at it. And uh, But then a year later, I moved back home, and I didn't touch a video editor or, or computer or anything audio until I had already gotten married, and uh, my daughter was living with me, and I was at Boeing, and um, I started doing the YouTube thing, and I thought, oh, I, I bet things haven't changed all that much. I was really naive about it, although things had changed quite a bit in the, in the 10 years that it had been. And uh, <laughs> I got Sony Vegas, which is a really shitty video editor, and um, I just kind of started doing it like that. But when I wanted to go record songs, I just I thought of the DAW as a video editor. And that's kind of how I've always approached it. It's just as it's just a video editor without the video part. That's that's it sounds weird, but that's just how I look and at it. And sometimes with the video part. And sometimes with the video part. And so, you know, they're so similar in so many ways. Um, one can really translate into the other very, very easily with just a few different tweaks. Um, and actually, I have like my keyboard shortcuts the same in Logic as I do Premiere Pro. So like when I'm switching back and forth and editing stuff, it's all the same to like zoom in the track and you know, slice and all that kind of stuff. So so really what you're saying is if someone is proficient enough in a DAW, there's absolutely no excuse for why they can't be proficient in a video editing No, there's platform. no reason. Um, and, and that will therefore, you know, make them make their skill set even better and more valuable and will make them more valuable. Uh, to any potential clients that maybe want to record a song and also want to make a video to go along with it, well, boom, now you have a guy that can do both those things. So that's saving them money and getting you the gig at the same time. And I mean, say that even if you don't want to make music videos, say that uh, say that all you do is help the band film the recording process and help them make promotional videos. Yes. You can include that as part of your recording service. Absolutely. You have just given the band a huge value add. Huge, huge bang for the buck. A lot of value added and that just equals more money for you. And then they're going to tell their friends and then they'll tell their friends and it just snowballs all because you can, you can do two things instead of one. So. And it's not like you need, I mean, we've got really great cameras at URM now, but we started Nail the Mix with fucking GoPros. Yeah, like, yeah, you, you did. don't need crazy shit. Dude, iPhone, iPhones these days are 4K, like, there's yeah. no excuse. It's pretty cool. Oh, what a time to be alive. It, it is pretty amazing. I was thinking about that the other day. I was like, thinking that 
what we do with Nail the Mix is the kind of stuff that I wish existed back when I was learning how to record, but (laughs) it would have been possible to do it back then anyways, because to get technology that could do that back then, you would have to already be super rich. Yeah, you make a good point, actually. I didn't think about about that. It's only possible because of the time period that we live in. (laughs) Right. So, and you started with Sony. Sony what? Uh, Sony Vegas. Um, okay, so, Sony Vegas. Yeah. So like, so more proof that you don't. It's like you don't even need a really good editor. However, you can just go to Adobe and get the monthly subscription on Premiere, right? Now you can. Yeah, at that time that didn't exist, and uh, Premiere and um, Photoshop were all, and you had to individually purchase them for. I think it was several thousand dollars a piece. Back then. Okay, but now it's thirty bucks a month. It's uh, seventy-five a month for the whole suite. Yeah, but for Premiere, it's thirty. Oh, just for Premiere, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I would have gladly done then because at that time Vegas was so buggy and my computer was so shitty. If so, I would hit render on a 720p video, and God forbid if my mouse moved at all during the render process, my computer would shut the fuck down, and I would oh, have no. to reboot and recover the file and then re-render again. And tell everyone to stay stay out of the room, and don't bump anything. Okay, so we've come a long way. <laughs> it was horrible, man, and that was just that was life for like a year and a half. It sucked. So, does it piss you off when people tell you that like they don't understand how to how to get started, or it's too hard, or they don't have enough money? No, um, I'm glad those people exist. Because, because otherwise, it keeps you a job. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I love those people. I, I love the self defeating. Self-deprecating people who uh, who don't have any drive—they're they're my favorite kind of people <laughs> because uh, I'll, I'll exploit them until I die. It's awesome. They, they won't be there to get in your way. Yeah, exactly. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm glad they don't do that. It's gonna make you wonder though. But seriously though, there's like there's literally no excuse for not taking on video as something you do. And and like I can tell you, engagement-wise online blogs for instance like i know there was a long time when people were like you need to have a studio blog or you need to do a blog this blog that people don't really read those anymore i mean there are some that people read but video has overtaken everything and i'm sure that's old news to some of you but uh to those of you who this is news to like pay close attention video has overtaken everything yep that's, I mean, that's, for instance, why Finn, our director of marketing, started making videos for Punk Rock MBA, his own thing, when he originally was just writing blogs. And he's a professional writer, has been for years. He's a great writer, but he took on video because video is how things work these days. That's what people pay attention to. Yep, that's it, because it's easily, I mean, it's easier to watch a video while you're pooping than sit there and read a read a blog on your phone, right? Yeah, Totally. <laughs> <laughs> or in bed or, or, you know, in the car or whatever. But, uh, yeah, the video thing is just going to get nuttier and nuttier as time goes on. So Yeah. So learn, learn it now, kids. So when you say learn it, what do you suggest for someone who, okay, let's take someone who has done some recording so they know how to operate a DAW. They have some gear. Sure. Uh, maybe they have a, one or two or three clients and they really want to improve their their client experience and get more clients and they're thinking about adding video but they don't know where to start youtube everything is on youtube um 
I mean, there's but still. I mean, do you mean start your own YouTube channel, or do you mean no, go no, no? On go go to YouTube and try to find some tutorials. Try to find, make sure it's really what you think you can handle, and just slowly start to get into it. Um, there's more now on YouTube than when I started because I certainly needed a refresher after almost a decade away from it. And um, at that time, there was only classes that you had to sign up for on the. Uh, Lydia.com, but there wasn't a ton of stuff on YouTube as I remember it when I was trying to find it then, 2010-ish. Um, but YouTube had only been around for like three or four years at that time. But um, go to YouTube, start watching tutorials and basics, uh, basic videos, and uh, like getting started with Premiere or you know getting started with whatever. Um, it's all on YouTube, and then once you once you Watch or creative live even creative or creative live. live. I mean, that like, would be a great. I was gonna say once you get a real real sense of what you're gonna get into on the YouTube side, I still think there's absolutely um, a good place for the really good educational courses. Obviously, with audio, you know, nail the mix and things like that. But the creative live and then nail the mixes of the world still absolutely have a place. And um, video specifically, definitely creative live. Um, God, I wish there was something like that back then when I when I yeah. started out. Well, I know they do these fast start classes where like they cover most cameras and all the different software. Really? Like, yeah. Wow. So <laughs> most cameras, you can just take a four hour class and it'll teach you everything you need to know to be able to operate it and like get some results. Like, you can take a fast start class on Premiere or whatever. Wow. I mean, you have to pay money for it, but I mean. So? So exactly like the information is out there, but so you think, let, let me see here. Let me see if they have an iPhone camera fast start. <laughs> that would be amazing up. if they did. I mean, how could they not? I don't know. Let's see here. I'm looking at their fast starts, um, camera guides and tutorials, the photography starter kit for beginning beginners, $49 Canon EOS 5D Mark IV Fast Start, $49. And there's like wow. so many cameras. Nikon Wireless Flash, Fuji X-T2, Olympus OM slash D, Sony A7. There's just so many cameras here. See, here's the they, here's the brilliant part about all those courses, though. Like those cameras that you just named off are two, three, four, five thousand dollars $5,000 cameras. So why wouldn't someone that spent that much money already pay another 50 bucks to, to learn all about it? I mean, that's that's awesome. But these aren't. But I don't think they only have super nice. Oh no, I know like, that. But uh, I'm just saying, like that makes a lot of sense. Uh, if you were someone looking to get into it, absolutely, that's money or it's value added to pay fifty bucks to to just learn but, the ins but they, and outs. But check this out: they have one for Panasonic Lumix GX7. That's a hundred and sixty dollar camera. Yeah. Still, like yeah. Uh, so I so I started out with my YouTube channel um, using a refurbished fifty dollar. Uh, do you remember those flip cameras? Yeah, of course. I used to have three of those, and uh, and they, they have no flip out viewer. So what I would have to do with all my early videos is I would have to set it up, and just in case the angle was good, I would film the video, I would stop it, I would look at the angle, I would I would get it down off to whatever setup I had, um, I would get it down, play it back. And if it wasn't good, I would then reset it and then do the video again and just kind of hope for the best and take it down, 
look at it again, but I always had to do it over and over and over again because if you had a, an awesome camera angle, well then, you know, you, you want to exploit that good camera angle. So I remember know. those. Oh, hey, check this out. I just found it. iPhoneography on Creative Live. Oh, my God. They have a class iPhone 6S photography, 29 bucks. They have uh, how to capture landscapes with your iPhone 7, 7 plus, 10 bucks. Um, wow. Adobe mobile apps, $17. Ooh. How to capture action with your iPhone 7 or 7 plus, $10. Like, like mobile, $17. Okay, so like... You have no fucking excuses, people. Wow, that's cool. I'm actually going to go uh, check that out after we're done. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're all on Team Creative Live. We love them. But, yeah, uh, absolutely. But, the, uh, but I mean, say that, it's, okay, I'm just saying that, like, yeah, YouTube has everything. But say that, like, you get inundated with YouTube and you don't know what to look for because uh, a lot of people say that they really appreciate what we do at Nail the Mix and all that because they mm -hmm. don't know where to look on YouTube because there's so much stuff. It's like, okay, so go to Creative Live. Yeah, I can I mean, see that too. I mean, their stuff's all good. It's so flooded it's on YouTube. So you really got to know what you're looking for. Yeah, I guess that would be the only problem. But I, I, I think that there's no reason for why people can't get started with this agreed so do you still find yourself learning about video all the time oh man um about an hour ago i was looking at the new features in uh adobe premiere and i was watching a tutorial on how to uh improve your color grading so yes i'm, I'm always watching stuff you, you have to you have to always want to up your game because if you don't, the next guy will surpass you. Someone else is going to come drink your milkshake. Dude, that is so fucking true. Um, I was not a shredder. Um, I'm a songwriter, but I am not a shredding metal guy. I like songs. And so in order to maintain my place, so to speak, it was a very conscious thing that I actually went and, you know, I read up on classes on how to talk to a camera and public speaking. I was just talking to, to Finn about this yesterday. And so I was going to make sure that I was way better to watch on camera when I was talking to the camera for FAQ stuff for the YouTube channel, because some of those other guys are terrible to watch. It's so painful. And so I, I paid for some courses and I, I took some uh, I took some public speaking courses uh, online and then learned how to color grade, and I just made sure my footage looked fucking great. So that was how so I compensated. you in invested in your own education? Absolutely. Uh, well, I think that uh, the listeners of this podcast, most of them are okay with investing in their own education because they sure. are sub subscribers to like URM and Nail the Mix. So like it's not a foreign concept to them, but I just think it's good to hear from people that are doing what other people aspire to do when you find out that those people who are, who have the jobs that you want are continually upping their skills and investing in themselves oh, and yeah. always learning. Yeah. Like, you know, buy the better computer, buy the better camera. Like it's just a step forward. You know, a lot of these kids and not even kids like full grown adults that have mortgages and stuff are like, yeah, but I don't think I'm good enough. I don't deserve that. You know, that self-defeating, guilt or whatever that is of like, oh, I don't deserve a, a nice camera like that yet. I'm not good enough. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, you are. Buy the good camera. <laughs> like, why not? Invest in yourself, man. If you're really that serious. What a difference it makes, too. Oh, man. Huge difference. But that's not to say that you can't start with something that's less than great. Absolutely. In fact, you should, you should just start. You should. I think that the... 
The, the hardest thing, I think the hardest thing about doing anything or getting anything done, accomplishing any goal, whether it's a New Year's resolution or just like something that you've been assigned to do from work or whatever, the hardest part across the board for almost everybody is literally just getting started, planning your ass down yeah. and fucking getting to work. Because yeah. um, then it's like once you're working, it's almost like nature takes over or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But the hardest part is momentum and inertia. Uh, inertia is your enemy and momentum's your friend. And once you have momentum going, it's all good. But, uh, you know, there, you should really just start with video with whatever you've got. If you've got an iPhone, start with an iPhone and, uh, you know, get the $30 premiere and just get started. Just do whatever you can. Just get started and then go from there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I started out with Reaper as far as the DAW when I finally made the leap to the DAW. And uh, I didn't know plugins existed. I didn't know any of that shit. And I just plowed into it. Just did it. Naively. So it, would you say that that's something that you've always kind of done in life when there's something you want, uh, you don't think about it too much, you just get started? Yeah. Um, I mean, I did that with guitar. I just uh, I decide, I make the decision, okay, yep, that's a hard yes. I, I definitely want to do that. All right, well, and it's just accepting that you're going you're gonna to fucking suck for a while. But if you get over that, like you know eventually you will improve. I mean, that's, you know, we're humans that we're, we're, we're going to get better at it. So, you know, whether you pick up a flute, piano, start, you know, I don't know if you want to be a lawyer, a doctor, like all that stuff is all the exact same thing. If you, you're going to suck at the start. And if you put the time in, you will get better and you will get there to where you want to be. But I think now this, you know, um, society teaches us today is teaching the kids today that like, you know, it's this now, now, now instant gratification kind of, kind of mentality that's uh, really prevailing. Um, you know, instant access, you know, with the cell phones, how they are these days and stuff like that, not to sound like an old man, but people don't want to put the work into. Like, uh, there's that, uh, oh, what's that fucking app um, that, oh, I'm so bored with playing guitar or like guitar pushing my fingers down on the strings is too hard. I wish I could play right now. You know, that kind of stuff where it's like, mm-hmm. don't develop the calluses, <laughs> put the th- thimble things on the end of your fingers. Like, what the fuck? Shut the fuck up and fucking get to work and develop the calluses like the rest of us. Like, fuck. I hate that shit. Just fucking work, man. Like, do the work. It's amazing how just doing the work will set you apart from so many other people. Seriously. Um, Question about procrastination, because I know we all do it. But, uh, you know, just referencing back what Joey had said about how he doesn't need to like ask you for things because the yeah. moment he mentions them, you're already on it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I know from working with you on other things too that you're very, you're you're definitely the self-starter type. Is that something that you have had to struggle with to like to like instill as a habit? Like, uh, what what goes through your head like as far as overcoming procrastination or is that just not an issue for you? No, it's not really an issue. Um, my sense of self-worth comes from my my output, my productivity and uh, watching my old man uh, just work his fucking ass off when I was a kid and he would come home after working 10 hours a day at Boeing and then he would have to work on our shitty ass cars that we had growing up and he would be outside until 1130 midnight sometimes 
and then get up at five o'clock in the morning and go back to work. And he would do that all week. Beast. Dude, fucking super, super beast. He's my hero. And uh, I thought I was. Well, I mean, you're like, you're my mom hero, my mom figure hero kind of okay. thing. Okay, that's fine. I yeah. can deal with that. <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, it's just like, I'm one of those guys that has a hard time taking a vacation because I just go nuts. Just, I can't not do anything longer than a day. So I don't know. Like, I just, I feel worthless when I, I don't do shit. So, and I think that's good. So I think a lot, that's probably a huge factor of why people, more people aren't doing these, you know, YouTube channels and shit like that. Cause it just, you got to go, 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 go. And that's not for everybody. So have you always tied your output to your self-worth? Yes, always. Cause if that's fortunate at the end of the day, even when everything goes to shit, if you can at least look at yourself in the mirror and go, I fucking worked my ass off today. Well, at at least then you have something to hang your hat on, so to speak. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So I don't know. That's just that's just how I, I kind of see the world. And uh, and you never needed to like condition yourself for that. That's just no, how you are. No, that's just how I am. And it served me really well at Boeing. Um, I would just fucking kick ass and I would get promotions. I mean, I got promoted all the way up um, into the salary from from an entry level mechanic into a hundred thousand dollar a year job in salary in three years at Boeing with just a high school education, just, just like being a self starter. Yeah, just because I would fucking go like when I would get done with my work instead of going cool, I'm gonna fuck off for the next four hours. I go, who else needs help? And I would just fucking go and do it because why not? Like help people. Fuck. Okay. Uh, all right. I want to get inside your head real quick about something. So. Joey has an idea. Let's just take that for instance. Okay. About a new type of video that he wants JST to put out. Okay. What what goes through your head right then and there? Like, and then like between then and when you actually get to work, what goes through your head? Um, of what would what would I want to see? What would be cool? Like, oh man, that's fucking cool. Because the good thing, the amazing thing about working with Joey is he really lets me kind of be creative in the space that he builds. So he's like, okay, here's the parameters, but within those parameters, go nuts, like go nuts, man, you do you. And I think that really lends itself to just me being able to still feel creative, although I'm getting work done. So that makes it really easy. Like I'm going to fucking think of a rad video idea to convey, you know, a marketing plan for this new plugin for, for bus glue or something like that. Like, oh man, wouldn't it be funny if I went and filmed something with, you know, Jared Dines and did this and he's like, yep, go do that. Just, just do it. And so that, I don't know, it's a factor of fun, productivity and getting work done. It's like, all oh, what, what do you tell yourself to get that momentum going to where you just get on it right away? Um, I don't know, man. I think a lot of it has to do specifically with, uh, with Joey because he just kind of, I don't know, Joey's a, Joey's a great boss in that. He just, you can trust his, you can trust his vision, but he will also listen to your input. And so when you feel listened to and when you feel validated in that, you makes you want to work harder, I guess. And so it just, it makes it really easy to just fucking go and get it and uh, just go and fucking kill it. And do you ever, do you find that um, if you leave too much time between the idea and the action that that sometimes kills the idea a little bit because I find that. Yeah, it will let you, I mean, but, but at the same time, it will give you some perspective. Um, 
again, that you may not have had if you just jumped right into it. So yeah, it can kill the idea if you don't strike while the iron's hot, so to speak. So time is critical when you're, you know, trying to accomplish something. But I mean, you can't say that all that's bad. You know, I'm sure there's stuff that you've done where you're like, man, I'm glad that I, I let some, I let that simmer a little bit. Well, I'm glad that we uh, didn't put out speed mixing when we first shot it because yeah. I wasn't happy with it and I made us completely redo it from scratch. I remember scratch. that. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure that they hated me a little bit for that, but I know they love me now. Um, right. Because that thing crushed. But like, if we, so I guess what I'm not saying, I'm not getting at being hasty with things and just not thinking things through, but I feel like uh, there's a time when an idea has a spark. And totally. That's when you got to pounce. Yeah, you have that initial energy of the newness of it. Mm-hmm. And and that's what will push it through to completion. And so, yeah. yeah. So I kind of feel like if dudes out here listening are like, inspired to go add video uh, to their repertoire or whatever it is. They, they want to get good at parallel compression or they finally want to finally get good at down picking, who, whatever it is. Um, start tonight after hearing this podcast. Do fucking like, go. Yeah, just do anything. Like, don't, it doesn't have to be a completion of the entire mission, but like, at least do one thing putting you towards that goal. I always find that like, even if you don't get it all done, if you at least do one thing that takes it out of just fantasy and into reality, that that right there sometimes is enough to to give you the, that momentum you need. Yeah, for me, uh, also like specifically with the video thing, I think it is so fucking cool that you know movies like Deadpool or uh, I don't know you've seen uh, Mindhunter on Netflix. Seen them both. Which I just got done with Mindhunter, but uh, both those are edited completely 100% in the box with uh, Adobe Premiere. Nice. So, and that, that right there, like knowing that kind of stuff just makes me want to go fucking edit a video because, like, holy shit, pros are using this shit. Even, you know, obviously it's a pro software, but, you know, the big boys are using this shit. Uh, that just makes me want to go and fucking do it myself. I don't know. That's awesome. I love that shit. Well, I mean, you know, the whole if they can do it, I can too. Sort yeah. Of thing fuck yeah. No one, yeah. You can do anything, kids. Well, <laughs> I, like, it's funny. Like, I kind of believe that and I kind of don't. But Yeah, uh, it's somewhere in between. Yeah, it's somewhere in between you can do anything and you can do nothing. <laughs> so, I mean. So it's you can do some things. I mean, not to get political, but I mean, look who our president is. You can absolutely do anything <laughs> you, you do want, anything. kids. <laughs> <laughs> that is kind of love him or hate him. That is kind of true. Right. That, that's what, yeah. exactly what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I also know plenty of people who have, quote unquote, made it in the arts who aren't the most talented. But, Dude, uh, right? They, they just know. had the drive. Right. Right. I mean, um, if anyone wants to follow this kind of thought um, outside of this, I highly recommend listening to some spoken word stuff from Henry Rollins. Cause um, like he was recently on the Joe Rogan podcast. I'm a big Joe Rogan experience fan. And um, you know, he was saying like, people are always asking him how he's so successful. Like, you know, he's done movies, he's done books, he's done TV shows, he's done stand up, And he's just like, I will never ever be the best at anything, but I'm tenacious. I don't know when to fucking quit. And I'll just keep going and I will work my absolute hardest to do it. 
I was like, man, that is fucking brilliant. And he also makes a point of letting people know that he's keenly aware of his mortality. Yes. Yes. I love that. Like, I, yeah. I, I'm a big fan of Henry Rollins. So I just, uh, yeah, if anyone, if anyone is listening and wants to kind of continue this train of thought, Henry Rollins, spoken word stuff and go see him live if you can. It's really, really life changing. Interestingly enough, of a newer guy on the on the speaking scene, um, Gary V also brings up mortality a lot, um, mm-hmm. kind of like Henry Rollins, which is like, you know, you're going to be dead one day. So fucking get to work. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. That that's is like, what are you happen. waiting for? Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah no one's, uh, you're waiting for a royal invitation. Right. Like, take, take that fucking iPhone and shoot a goddamn video. Yeah. Just fucking do it. Be proud of yeah. it. So, yeah. so we've got some questions here from our audience for Ooh. you. Okay. Um, they were excited that you were coming on. Oh, and, they're so uh, sweet. Yeah. They, they love you. They love you. <laughs> Here's one from Rodney. Okay. Hi, Rodney. Uh, he's a URM yeah. ad, admin. Yeah, what's and, up, Rodney? Uh, if anyone wants to know what Rodney looks like, uh, watch the sales and yeah. uh, nail the mix. He was sitting right next to me the whole time, nervous, but I still love him. <laughs> he was um, nervous. <laughs> so it's because Seosin's his favorite band. Yeah. So uh, dreams can come true. So right. here goes. I currently work for a speaker company that handles marine audio. Our YouTube social media presence is very lacking, in my opinion, uh, compared to what I've been exposed to with URM and your channel. What advice would you give me? I want to help them better this part of the company without stepping on the toes of the individual in charge of the media department. I had a great conversation with the head of media and was asked to write some music for our demo videos, product videos. So I feel this is my opportunity, but I want to take that a step farther and basically guarantee me a step in that department. Can I say one thing before you jump in? Yeah, absolutely. Get the song done they asked for first <laughs> I, I was yes so give your so uh i always have a, I have a a thing i like to say to myself or, or what i tell friends who are in similar situations like g- get your foot in the door first initially massage them and make them feel good i.e do whatever it is that you've already committed to do get the song done um it sounds a little situation specific uh, in in Rodney's case, because you know, obviously, like he just said in the question, he doesn't call the shots for for what gets put out, and that is not in his control. The best he can do is have a uh, have a conversation about it with the guy who does have the say so. But that's kind of a tough one. There's there's only so much he can do with taking the social presence in the st- uh, step in the right direction because he can't tell the social guy what how to do his job. Obviously. So eh, I would say there was a lot he can do in the current situation, although he needs to use that song as a stepping off point yes. to to then start building a repertoire and trust because success equals validity. And the if, if it does well, whatever they're using the song for, if that does well, that will suddenly give him leverage to then argue a point or have an idea and have it be valid to them. So. Yeah, it's almost like everything that he said that he wants to do, like thinking further, as far as I'm concerned, that's the kind of stuff that if I ask somebody to do something, like an employee or a potential employee, and 
instead of doing what I asked for, they had a bunch of ideas for how to make things better. I'd get kind of angry. Fucking well, angry, but I wouldn't want to deal with them anymore. No, hell no. Like they can't follow directions. They're not like doing what I asked for, and they just think that their ideas are better. They don't know what I've done to get to this point. They don't know if I've right. already had their same ideas. They don't know what our challenges are. Nope. They haven't been in my shoes. But the one thing I did ask them for, which will help, they haven't even done yet. So fuck this guy. Right. So now I'm just saying that that's, that would be my reaction. And I have had people like that as interns before, and I never call them back because it's like, you're, I just asked you for one thing and like, you already want to take over. Yeah. This is not going to work. Don't be that guy. You don't, you, yeah. you don't know the best way. You, you don't know the, the proper social strategy because chances are you probably don't have the experience to even make those decisions yet. So just do what was asked and, and go from yeah. there. And even if you do have great ideas, what difference does it make if no one's going to be receptive to them? <laughs> so like Fluff right. said, get the song done, build that trust, and use that as your in. But yep. I would tread very carefully if it's somebody else's department. Very carefully. Yeah. Okay, here's question number two. Man, I'm not even going to try with this name, so I'll just say Gregors. Hi, Fluff. Currently, the market of YouTube guitarists is quite full, and it's really difficult to stand out. I have my channel where I put classical guitar arrangements of movie songs and metal arrangements of some popular radio songs and try to brand myself in these two paths. I have quite good quality in terms of music, a decent video, but I have a really hard time with gaining any audience. What advice would you give to guys like me besides one that we should do innovative stuff? With good quality. Anything about branding, marketing, and advertising? Um, well, it sounds like... So So he does two different things. He does the classical guitar stuff uh, for movie themes, and he does metal versions of things as well. Is that what it said? Yeah, so I guess he does classical arrangements of movie songs and metal arrangements of pop songs. Um, I would say pick one. Uh, focus on one of those things because when someone goes to your channel, they need to know right away what they're going to be, what they can accept or expect to to see. Now, classical guitar thing that sounds kind of cool to me. There's a million channels doing uh, metal versions of pop songs, and chances are I haven't even heard your stuff, dude. They're probably better than yours because there's other videos that are getting millions and millions of fucking hits. Um, because as we talked about earlier there's always uh room on the shelf i think is what you said uh the the top shelf has infinite space has infinite space so if your shit was like really truly mind-blowing um you'd be getting millions of views and not even asking us that that question perfect example is uh this month on nail the mix carson slovak and grant mcfarland are the guest mixers they did august burns red but what Little-known fact about them is that they have a Star Wars band called Galactic Empire, which... That's them? Does, that's them, yeah. Holy they, shit! <laughs> yeah, dude, that's, that's their... That's fucking awesome. Yeah, that's their joke band. I'm a big um, fan. Yeah, they're really good. <laughs> they um, are. Their their metal versions of those movie themes are fucking good. Fuck, they're so good. That probably, and There you go. Probably the best one I've ever heard. Like, they really do play those John Williams tunes really, really well. Dude. And they do, they do the musical justice. And yes. So you take that on top of the fact that their outfits are fucking awesome and the video quality is great. Well, boom, you have a success story. So spot on. But that's 
the top shelf right there. Yes, if you did something on that level, there's room for you up there. Absolutely, but it really there needs is. to be on that level. So the other thing I would I would say is um, speed of output, and what I mean by that is um, my, my my buddy Leo, who uh, has a YouTube channel called Frog Leap Studios. He has exploded in the last year, and it all began with a mega fucking hyper viral metal version of uh, Adele's Hello. And he came out with that right after the song hit radio. I mean, he was so fast on his feet with that metal version before anybody else. That fucking video got 8 million views the first fucking week it was out. Like, it went mega viral. And now he has, I think he just hit 2 million views, or 2 million subs on his YouTube channel. And a year ago, he had like 70,000 subs. I mean, he's gone mega, mega, mega hyper viral. And he's the sweetest guy. But being fast. So if there's a huge song on the radio, the new Maroon 5 single just came out today, you better have a fucking video out tomorrow. Like, period. I mean, much like the way that South Park... Uh, yes about including current events dude that's so crucial because again you have that you have that initial idea and you have that initial momentum um that can propel you but if you know if you're waiting if you're waiting a month or two to cover that pop song that was that's on its way out on radio no one's gonna care no and the thing with galactic empire their first release came right as the new Star Wars was being released. Right, right. After there hadn't been Star Episode Wars seven. movies. Right. Yeah, it was right at the same time, on purpose, obviously. Yeah, it was right that, when the trailer hit, def- wasn't it? Yeah, that's not a coincidence. I think it was right when the movie came out, or two weeks or something. God, that was, was so de- good. In, in December of that year. The, um, I would love to ask them about the costumes and shit. Like, oh man, those are so spot on. Well, we're doing a and a with them. Uh, oh, cool, well, okay. On the 10th, should... I will. Come and I'll hang come out. hang out. Um, but uh, but yeah, they. Uh, but that's a perfect example of it being timely. So if you're just like, I don't know. I feel like there. It has to be spectacular. And I know that he was like, I don't want an answer of just doing better videos. But like, hey man, <laughs> that's it. That's doing better videos. Sorry. Get. <laughs> well, marketing will only get you so far. So here's here's the thing with marketing that a lot of people misunderstand. Thank you. Is Marketing will get it in front of people, but if your shit isn't good, or if you're, you know, if for whatever reason, they still don't have to like it, and they still don't have to follow you and stuff like that. Like, you know, okay, yeah, yeah I can get it in front of twenty thousand people by paying my my two hundred dollars on Facebook by pushing it in an ad. That doesn't mean shit. No. So, well, a perfect example also is what we the kind of marketing that we do for Nail the Mix and URM. Uh, I studied how to do it. Finn studied it. Joey studied. Mm-hmm. Joel studied it. We follow very specific techniques, and uh, like we study this stuff. And and since we study it, we know other people who try it. And we have seen people use the exact same techniques that we do, but with shitty products that no one wants, and they make no money. Then they make right. no sales, and nobody cares because at the end of the day, social media. It's just an infrastructure and marketing are just, it's just tactics and things you do, but it, people have to want what you're offering. That's right. So, yeah. sorry. <laughs> um, all right. So here's one from Marco Angioni. And uh, let's give this guy a good answer because he actually takes the advice. Uh, like, for instance, uh, 
I did a one-on-one session with him a few weeks ago, and I told him, like, he was having—he's good. He's a good engineer, and he's been at it a long time. He's got a very nice studio uh, in uh, Belgium, I believe. But uh, he was having— or Den Man or Denmark shit. I'm sorry, Marco. I in forgot. an exotic location far in, away in from me. In an exotic location far away from me. Yes. Okay. And uh, <laughs> and he was having trouble getting it booked, and I was trying to help him figure that out. And hmm. I went, and his website was just. It, it looked. I mean, I would say GeoCities, but it was you know, uh-huh. it was pretty rough stuff. Yeah. And so I was like, look, you need to go to Brian Hood's site and take his free website course, and like get a better website together and it needs to fall. Like you need to like stop worrying about your gear, focus more on who you are and what you've done and like all this stuff. I mean, we talked about it for like 40 minutes and that night he went and started working on a site. Oh, good man. Way, way better site. And the reason I'm saying that is because a lot of people give advice to, and then in one ear out the other. So what we tell him now, he'll probably do. So here's the question for Marco. Hi, Fluff. Any advice on how to get good personal connections, even if you are not living near a musically active city or scene personal connections as in what like other musicians or other studio guys i think well okay so his situation is he lives kind of in the middle of nowhere ish yeah and um he wants more clients at his studio so i would imagine that he means more uh just how to network more with bands so he can get more clients to his studio um honestly what i would personally do is Kick the kick ass at a few records, but um, maybe take a cut in payment and instead have those bands share on their socials about your website or your studio specifically while tagging you. Kind of use some leverage uh, in exchange for your services, kind of a thing. Um, it sounds like visibility is the issue. Not that you know. Obviously, you said he's he's a good engineer, but. Um, it sounds like he's just getting killed on visibility and um, general traffic. And he has barely had like good pictures of his studio, and his wife's a photographer. So it's like, dude, have I mean, your wife take some pictures. Like, what's going on? Yeah, but, uh, I would ask some bands to share to share my shit. Um, is what I would personally do um, in exchange mm-hmm. for. And I have done that. I mean, um, I'll give you an example. Um, I wanted to get out there in, in the early days and I had met a guy named Rob Scallon at NAM, uh, 2014, I think it was. And he, at that time he had 35,000 subs and I was pretty heavy into the audio thing at that point. And I had, I had almost 10,000 subs and I thought this guy was a fucking superstar and his, his stuff actually didn't sound great at all. Um, his videos were funny, they were quirky, but the sound quality was not there. And Rob could not afford to pay me. And what I asked for in return, um, which is still an agreement that he, uh, we still hold up to this day, is uh, except now he pays me, um, is instead of paying me, um, I wanted him to link to my YouTube channel in the description of every single one of his videos that where I mix the audio. And it would be, it wouldn't be just a little blurb or it wouldn't be something at the very end of the description. It would be like the fourth line of the description. And that paid off huge uh, when the first video we did went viral. And then the second, third, and fourth videos also went viral with the Slayo banjo, banjo thing and um, Metal in Inappropriate Places and uh, Nine String Metal and th- these kinds of videos. And um, 
So asking for promotion from from other bands in exchange for your services is there's nothing shameful in that. Um, that is savvy business, in my opinion. And um, if you can, and I'm not saying do uh, like do an entire record for free or something like that, but eh, maybe give them a little discount to uh, give you a few shout outs. And there's nothing wrong with asking for some shout outs. Um, you know, structure it like you want a shout out twice a week for two months for X amount of money kind of a thing is what I would do. Um, also get, get some nice pictures of your, of your shit, man. Come on. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Great answer. Um, okay. Well, you kind of already answered this question. So I'm going to the next one. This one's from Ian Babbitt fluff. How do you prove to your potential audience? Hey, subscribe to me. I'm different. Um, actually, this is going to sound hilariously stupid and dumb. Um, I've gone out of my way on my channel to never ever ask please subscribe to me I've never said it I don't ever ever ask for anyone to subscribe to me um, like and describe you know leave a comment down below now I do ask you know what do you think leave a comment down below like in some of my FAQs like if someone writes in and says you know um, what's a good entry level interface I'll put my two cents in and then I'll say hey, do you guys what are your guys' favorite entry level interfaces comment down below but as far as actually subscribing and stuff i have never ever actually said you know please subscribe you know like and subscribe i hate that shit and for me it always made sense they'll stick around if they want to like me who who these days goes oh man if he hadn't said subscribe i totally wouldn't have subscribed <laughs> you know what i mean like you let your work speak for itself <laughs> um that's <laughs> you know what I mean. Thinking like, about it, when you put it like that, it's just kind of funny because you're right. That's never. I subscribe because I see a video that I like and I appreciate that right. the guy who posted it made the video, and I want. I, not only do I want to see future videos, I know that the subscribe count makes a difference, and so I hit subscribe. He doesn't need to tell me, right? And so, like to me. I always feel like they're treating me like I'm stupid a little bit when they say like and subscribe. And the last thing I ever would want any of my viewers to feel like is that I feel like they're stupid because they're so fucking smart and intelligent. And I appreciate their time, even if they're going to leave a shitty comment. I, su I still really, really appreciate them taking the time to leave that shitty comment because they're still spending time on something that I did. So, And then you, you, you have material to screenshot. Right, and to use at the end of the year and talk shit about them later. But still, that's very passive aggressive of, of me. But still, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't. I would just let the work speak for itself. I, I wouldn't say subscribe or anything like that. I don't appreciate the shit talkers. I want to jump at them with a fucking knife. But. No, man. So here's here's the thing with shit talkers. Shit talkers are are hard confirmation that your stuff is reaching new new audiences. That's that's shit talkers. Oh no no I know I know. But the, logically I, love it. I know it just Log oh, no I love lo the shit talkers. Logically I know this, and sometimes it just depends what mood I'm in. True. But there's sometimes, yeah, I agree with you. There's sometimes where it's just like, man, I wish you were in front of me, dude, because you'd be dead. My my day has been ruined a few times uh, over the years, and I when they I just let them get to me sometimes. My like, god damn it! And then it's, it's hard actually, not to. Dude, you know who actually talks me talks me down is uh, Joey. Joey, well, Joey is uh, Joey is fucking I've amazing. Had, I've had to talk him down a few times too. We talk each other. <laughs> dude, he's great for that though. Like, he's just like, man, they're still coming to your channel and, and commenting on your shit, dude. And I'm like, 
God damn it. You're fucking right. It's true. It's so true. Well, it's, I've noticed that like the people who are best at calming me down are those who have been in a similar situation, just that same way that I'm good at calming them down Mm -hmm. when they get it and they get mad because we've all experienced it. So we all know that sometimes someone makes that comment and it's just like, God, I wish he was laying down (laughs) in the street and I had my car (laughs) and I could turn him into fucking ground beef. Yeah. But. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, but really, all it takes is like me telling Finn or Joey or something, and they're like, "It's a good sign." But I always tell them that too. Yeah, when they get mad, right, so, right. Yeah, we help each other, man. We help each other. <laughs> all right, here's one from uh, Austin Stewart. When trying to create a YouTube series, how do you find an engaging way to talk to what feels like no one, i.e. making it seem like the audience is directly there with you? Is there a script? Is it an acting thing or a personality thing? So it's a combination of of several things. First, um, like I kind of touched on uh, earlier, public speaking. So, And what I mean by public speaking is eliminating ums, and uhs and things um, you kind of naturally and, want to do. Uh, yeah, the filler. Uh, you naturally will put in filler while you talk when in actuality, it's just best to be silent for a second while you formulate and think of a sentence. Um, that's first. Second, you just said, um. Um, uh, but yeah, but sometimes you can say it on purpose and it's fine. Um, you're wrong. Just kidding. But not if you go, uh, you know, it's. And the, the turning point for me there was one time I, I showed up to uh, Thanksgiving uh, and my grandmother had a tally of the amount of times I said, um, in my newest video at that time. And it was something like 47 times in the span of three minutes I had said, um, and I didn't even know my grandmother knew I had a YouTube channel, right? Did my, she take a shot every time? <laughs> no, no, but she put she grandma's put, drinking game jailhouse style. She put a scribble mark, a little line on this piece of paper that was full of lines, like you've been counting years in prison or something. And um, see, so I said, um, she was Once like, once you become aware of it, yeah, she said, honey, uh, you're you're great. I, I love what you're doing, but you really gotta uh, learn how to speak to the camera. And I thought, oh my god, she's right. Fuck you, grandma. I'm 16. Right? I no, do what but, uh, I want. Fuck you, grandma. I'm 32 years old. I'm a man. <laughs> but, um, and so the second part of that uh, to talking to nobody is you have to overcompensate. And the reason why you have to overcompensate is because you're reading. Normally when you talk to somebody, and this is all part of public speaking stuff and info. When you are speaking, you're reading and feeding off of body language. And when you don't have that. You have to enunciate and your body language has to be twofold because when someone goes back and watches it, they're obviously not having, they're, they're on the receiving end of that. So they're not getting any body language from you in turn, in real time, in reaction to what they're watching. So when you are talking to the camera, first, it's weird. It's just, it's just weird at first. And you just have to get used to staring at the camera and not the side viewer, not the flip out viewer. Don't look just off to the side of the camera, look into the camera and you have to exaggerate everything, your body movements, your hand movements, the way you talk, your volume, you're talking volume. And, but when you play it back, when you're just watching it in, in bed or whatever, it seems relatively normal because you're not there in person talking to me. So I think that's the thing that you kind of got to be aware of 
Um, when when people meet me in real life, they're like, "Oh, wow, you're pretty calm." I was expecting like Mister Mister Slapsticky first question guy, but that's not how people are in real life because that's very taxing and it's very draining on, on to talk to people like that. So it's rough. Yeah, that's and how you do it. One thing that me and Joey always say is, if you don't feel like a complete idiot when you're done shooting the video, you probably weren't expressive enough. Dude, that's so true. That's so accurate. <laughs> That's so accurate. I know. It's uh, for introverts mm-hmm. uh, like myself. Uh, learning to speak on camera is a tough thing. It still is tough. Like, it goes against every fiber of my being. Yeah. So that's how I gauge it now is how ridiculous do I feel that I'm doing a good job. Yeah, exactly. Okay, here's one from Runar Magnuson. Uh, another URM admin. Thank you, Runar. We love you. So, hello, Mr. Flufferington. I've been thinking about making some YouTube videos that show various things I've done to improve my DAW workflow over the years. They're very specific to my workflow, but I hope the videos can give people new ideas about how to approach their DAWs and what they can do with them. My concerns, though is that it may be a bit narrow and not general enough. I guess my question is, should I only go for the few things that I find interesting, or should I try to find a way to also go into related uh, general subjects that might not interest me as much in order to reach a wider audience? Mm, I would say both. So when I first started my channel, I was strictly doing things that interested only me. They were just for me, for my own interests. I was doing nerdy things like shooting out different overdrives and different microphones. Like I was A, being an Audix i5 and an SM57 in front of the same speaker in the same position, blah, 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 blah. That's some really, really nerdy shit. And not a lot of people are going to find a lot of information in that. However, once you put out your really specific stuff that you're really passionate about, definitely do expand and maybe build on that a little bit. And have maybe a part two or, you know, whatever. I don't know the specific specific content relating to uh, workflow improvement, but um, maybe have a follow-up and have that be more general. So then you can have, you know, you can kind of have your cake and eat it too uh, as far as uh, the content. So you're, you're just getting a lot of coverage. So you're also covering the really, really specific stuff and then kind of the more general stuff that maybe the more casual user would still find valuable. Let me just say one thing, though, that I think is that if you're new at making video, I'd say start with what you're passionate about. Because, yeah. Because you, you, and then once you have that momentum, once you feel more comfortable making videos, then start going more general. I definitely agree with Fluff about the your what your overall strategy should be. I agree 100%. But I just think that if you're brand new at it, um, like we just said in the previous question, making videos is kind of an awkward thing. So... Why not get comfortable with it doing stuff that you actually really care about? Yeah. And then once you're comfortable, expand. And people will, people react and feed off of things that you are passionate about yourself. You know, so they can smell that you're not passionate about it a mile away and they won't fucking watch it. So I'm speaking from experience. (laughs) That's that's why I'm saying that. Like if it's a brand new thing and you're still like got your training wheels on, um, you don't want to have to learn how to make video while talking about stuff you don't care about. Right. People will overlook problems in video if you make up for it with your passion and quality of information. Right. I totally agree. 
Okay, here's one from Eric Burt. What was your biggest fear when leaving your day job to pursue this full time? How did you overcome that fear? Didn't you get fired or laid <laughs> <Yeah>. off? <laughs> I didn't have a choice. <laughs> no choice. <laughs> well, actually, I'd gotten to this weird place right before. Oddly, I, I don't know if like the universe just kind of works this way. I fucking hated my job so bad, but I don't know. Maybe it's because I just got through divorce three or four weeks before, and I was in a really weird spot and. Um, unrelated to that, I had a manager kind of come after me because I'd smarted off at him, go figure. And that wasn't my manager. He was just some manager. And he had asked the company on his behalf that he thought I was up to something malicious um, because I had malicious. Well, I, I had, I was in charge of a lot of stuff and I had security clearances and stuff. So he, he could, he could request an, a full thorough investigation of me. Wow. And while they really didn't pissed him off, well, okay, well, he's retired anyway, and fuck him, I don't care. Uh, so what happened was he kept trying to spy on me while I was working, and when I was working, I was working on engineering documents and things like that. He would sneak up around my cubicle and poke his head over and look over my shoulder in silence without me knowing he was there and spy on me to make sure I wasn't on the internet. And I wasn't. Uh, he was also really short. So um, without asking, what I did in my cubicle one day is I turned, uh, I rearranged my cubicle and I turned the whole fucking thing 90 degrees uh, within the cubicle. So my desks and all that shit. So I was facing outward because he was too short to peek over the wall that was behind me the divider for the cubicle. And um, <laughs> that's eventually what got me fired because amazing. <laughs> it, was, it was a big fuck you to him. And basically he asked to have me investigated and they didn't find anything malicious at all on, on me. However, there were a few times where uh, they found that I went to amazon.com and it was not my lunch hour. And they fired me on the spot after 10 years of flawless service. And, um, for going to Amazon.com? For going to Amazon.com specifically. That's what it says in my file. And uh, no warnings, Man. no nothing. They, they fucking sat me down and gave me my, my pink slip. And that was it. And um, Man, I, that's, that's uh, definitely crossing the line there. Dude, it was mind-numbing. So I, I drove home, and I thought, well, if I'm going to lose the house, I'm going to do it doing something I love. So I'm going to start doing this audio thing and this YouTube thing for real. And... The only thing I could think to do was I made a video that said, um, I can't even remember what it was called. Um, I think it's called, uh, you know, the life video or something like that. And I basically turned a camera on and I looked shell shocked to shit because I was. And I just turned a camera on and I just told everybody what was going on. That's the, all I could think to do. I just said, hey, man, hey, guys, um, I was just fired today and I don't know what to do. I don't know what I'm going to do. But I'm going to try my hand at uh, doing this kind of thing and doing this video thing full time. Can I'm you only... give me a link to that video? Because I want to put it in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah, I'll get you a link. Um, I made a follow up like a year later because everyone kept asking how I was doing. But as a result of me doing that video, I had several companies reach out and offer me a job in the industry. Was and... one of them Lockheed Martin? <laughs> no, they were uh, <laughs> Airbus. Evertune, Positive Grid. Uh, two oh, notes. the music industry, not music aviation. industry. No, no, okay. no. The music industry, because I think in the video I say like I want to be in the music industry. That's what I want to do. So, yeah. So I didn't really have a choice, and I <laughs> don't. I don't know if I if I would have actually left a hundred thousand a year 
job to point a camera at myself and talk to it because I did. Fuck, man. I mean, I probably would have eventually. I was so unhappy. So if well, you, that, that's that's kind of the thing is I was losing my mind right. because I was so miserable. So I I didn't want to make a hundred thousand a year if I was gonna want to kill myself the whole time. I was just getting to that point anyway. I think I probably would have eventually quit a few months later, or at least transferred or something. But uh, I had two months basically to figure it out. And uh, when I got fired, my insurance, they told me my insurance, because I was fired and not laid off, my insurance was terminated at the end of that month. So I had like, I had four days to get my meds filled and to go get my annual and to go to the dentist. It was, it was fucked. Okay. <laughs> Next question. Um, Charles Osmond is asking, how do you like the Rev Generator 120 and what does it seem to excel at? Uh, I love the uh, the one the 120 is awesome. I own the 100. Um, the 120 was what I demoed for uh, that owns is owned by Trey from Gear Gods. The Rev stuff is extremely tight, really responsive, and just I, I always tell people they're like a a tone laser. They're so fucking just on it and they're so immediate but they're so tuby and like just they have so much tuby goodness um they're just really full of attack and they're just perfect for anything even remotely aggressive although they do um prettier stuff as well you know nice clean clean channels and things like that but um i think the brutality the built-in brutality is what uh what are best about the uh the generator series in general with uh, from the rev amps all right. Here's one from Sasha Riesling, which is, how do you decide if you want to work with a brand or not? Uh, good question. Um, usually, I will... So so basically how this works is, with the YouTube thing, they'll email me. They'll shoot me an email from the website or from the channel directly. And they'll go, hey, you want to check something out? Uh, it would be cool if you could make a video of it. And I don't normally commit to making a video of it until I've had a chance to play with it a little bit. Or if I've already, if I know what it is, that's a little different story. Like if it's a specific guitar or something like that. But um, generally speaking, I'll have them send it to me. And if I don't like it, then they give me a return label and I send it back to them. And if I do like it, I'll make a video of it. Um, it's really that simple. But um, the stuff that I don't like, you generally won't ever see on the channel. <laughs> fair, fair enough. I mean, uh it's like a friend of mine who owns a really big media site says that if they really hate a band, the best thing they could do is just not cover them at all. It's not give them a bad review or talk shit. It's just don't cover them. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Just don't get you, don't even give them the attention. Then they don't exist. That's right. Okay. This guy has five names. Here's a question from Cornelius Lee Duke Vernon Bose. Has YouTube's new policy on ads affected you in any way? And if so, are you considering moving on from YouTube into a standalone blog-style thing or maybe just focusing on production? Uh, so what he's referring to is the adpocalypse. And in in light of all the terrorist acts and all of the, uh, the PewDiePie thing, um, who's like the most subscribed YouTuber on the platform, and, you know, racist stuff and, and ads essentially going, hey, you know, why are you advertising us on channels like that? So in true Google fashion, they've, they've totally gone too far the other way. And now anything deemed even remotely controversial is being demonetized. And th that has not affected me in any way, shape or form because 
I saw that happening from years and years and years down the road. So years and years and years ago, I made the conscious decision to never cuss in my videos. And I would never talk about anything like, you know, directly uh, r racism or terrorist acts. I mean, that's just not really the, the format of the channel anyway. Yeah, thank God. Man, and how annoying is it when, when you try, when you like go to a channel for something and you love them for something and they have to muddy the waters with politics or something. I, like that. I absolutely hate that and you despise it. Oh, it's just the worst. And I, I have a few really young nephews and, uh, cousins that I know watch my channel. And also for that reason, you will never, ever hear me cuss, uh, on my channel. I will, I will bleep. Save it for the URM podcast. Save it for the fucking URM podcast. God um, damn it. God damn it. But, um, no, I, I, I made a conscious decision to stay clean years and years and years ago because, uh, I wanted to be more advertiser friendly, brand friendly, and, uh, generally didn't want to say, fuck cut and all that stuff every five words and limit myself because I don't ever want to limit myself. Fair enough. And last question. This one is from Benjamin Arthur Christopher. There's three names. <laughs> uh, Fluff, how do you manage your balance of being in a band and working with clients? Um, the band isn't as active as it may appear to be because everyone has a fucking side project or YouTube channel or doing something else. Um, when we're touring, it's a little different story, but this past year was kind of difficult because before we, we took a really long break, we'd basically split up uh, at the end of last year. And after Nam, we decided to go ahead and do the band thing again. And we did a record that I did. And before that had happened, I had already signed on to do two albums by two with two local punk bands. And that's track, produce, mix, engineer. I mean, the whole deal was just me. Uh, for these two full-length albums. And I think there were 10 songs each, something like that. And <laughs> then the band started to get back together, and I had to do my own band's record as well. So I had three simultaneous albums that I was working on at the same time for a span of, I think, five months, and that was hell. Um, I would never, ever want to do that again because... It's a lot. Oh, my God. I just, I, I had such a hard time keeping track of like, wait, what the fuck are we, what are we tracking today? What song? Wait, what album is that off of? Oh, sorry, that's the wrong band. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, that kind of stuff. It, it really pays to be organized in those situations and thank God I was. But um, my band's album took the most amount of time because you'll never get the amount of, I don't know, I guess you'll never get the amount of respect you will from your own bandmates that you will from people that you aren't in a band with that haven't seen you nearly piss yourself drunk at 3 a.m. in the middle of Arizona <laughs> or something, you know what I mean? So, like, my band's record took the most amount of time and the most amount of energy because they would ask for the most ridiculous changes at the very last minute after I'd already moved on from something. So, um, sometimes I don't balance it, but other times I really try to be careful and really try to ask the band and our management, okay, do we have anything going on for this time period or something like that? And... So now it seems to be okay, but that could change at any moment. <laughs> so basically, you balance it, except for when you don't. That's basically what I was, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that's it. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> well, Ryan, thank you so much for coming on the podcast uh, and hanging with me for two hours. 
Anytime, and, man. Uh, very much looking forward to hanging out at the URM Summit in December. Yeah, man. And if uh, anyone wants to go, I know that this podcast is going to be released before we finish selling tickets. The tickets will be on sale until November 10th. And this podcast is coming out, I believe, on November 6th. So you still have four days as of the release of this to get your ticket. And um, I just want you guys to know that we only have three tickets left as of this podcast being recorded. So they might already be gone by the time this is released. But yeah, there's three tickets left as of now. There might not be three tickets left next week. So if you want to go, go to urmsummit.com, get a ticket and come hang out with us in Orlando. Come hang. Come hang. Yeah, man. Thank you. Thanks. The Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast is brought to you by the 2017 URM Summit. A once-in-a-lifetime chance to spend four days with the next generation of audio professionals and special guests, including Andrew Wade, Kane Churko, Billy Decker, Fluff, Brian Hood, and many more. The inspiration, ideas, and friendship you'll get here are the things that you'll look back on as inflection points in your life. Learn more at urmsummit.com. To get in touch with the URM podcast, visit urm.com slash podcast and subscribe today.